This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. The reading today is Genesis 9, from verse 1 to the end. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I would demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I would demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that, ha- that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign, the sign, of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his fathers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. 
Thanks, Sarah, for reading today's passage. If you have your Bible with you, it would be great to keep it there or a little notebook or a pen as I invite Pastor Y to lead us uh, and unpack today's passage for us. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Sarah, for reading. Okay, so we are here in Genesis chapter 9. And obviously, uh, it's a continuation of the flood story uh, that we saw last week. And I always think it's helpful uh, to gain a different perspective on the flood. Uh, the movie that came out a few years ago starring uh, Russell Crowe, Hermione Granger. And what's helpful about the trailer is that it actually helps us see that it is more than a children's story. Okay, like, it, it really happened. Uh, I was really big. Okay, there was a lot of water. And um, what often doesn't get depicted in children's stories would be the bloated bodies of people floating in the water because they have faced God's judgment. Okay, so the flood is real. And what happens now after the flood? Well, because of God saving Noah and his family, uh, there is a, a, a fresh start, a fresh start to humanity. And all the human beings, if you like, you know, they have made it through this act of God's judgment. And there's great hope, huh? uh, hope in uh, the person that God has chosen, uh, you know, building the ark, enabling them to be saved. And so you could forgive them for thinking as they came out of the ark. You know, all the other people with Noah, they'd be carrying this sign. Now instead of, uh, you know, make the earth great again. Uh, okay, it was bad, it was corrupted, God had to judge. And so uh, there is a, a new beginning with, you know, the earth cleansed as it were uh, by the flood and the uh, the most righteous man, the most blameless man, Noah and his family saved. It's, it's a new beginning. And what I want us to see, uh, and I, what I want you to uh, type into your into the chat box, is what echoes of Genesis 1 to 2 do you see in these first seven verses? Okay, so I, I, I'm really going to wait for you to type because I want to make it interactive. Look at the first seven verses, what echoes do you see of Genesis 1 and 2 in these verses? Okay, thank you so much. Yes, the the one that is very clear because it forms the beginning and the tail of our section is that command to be fruitful and to multiply. Right? Remember, it was given to Adam all the way back in Genesis 1 and now it's given to Okay, thank you, Mipo. Uh, it's given to Noah. And Noah, in a sense, is like a new Adam. Okay, because it's a new beginning, it's a fresh start. Uh, Noah and his family are told to be fruitful and multiply. And yes, we thought, thank you. Yes, it is a sign of God's blessing. Through the, thank you, Mipo, the provision of food, right? So all the way back in uh, chapter one, chapter two, God gave them the green plants to eat provided food for them. And obviously here, there's that same idea, same theme of providing food. Now, of course, what we all noticed is that there is a slight change because now anything that moves 
they can eat. Now, so obviously one of the best meals I had, uh, you know, after circuit breaker is because God gave us need to eat. Okay, so okay, that's one significant thing about Genesis 9. Okay, we now can enjoy that. Okay, so what, what are the echoes? Provision of food. Okay, anything else? Okay, so just like in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, God said you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And in the same way, God says you can eat, but he also gives a limitation, right? Verse 4, don't eat the meat that has life blood in it. Okay, so, well, this one, got any life blood? Okay, it looks red, but okay, there's no blood, huh? Okay, so, um, in line with God giving uh, the animals over to humanity to eat, that's why he says uh, in verse 2, the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. Now, why will the animals fear us? Because now, the animals are prey. God has given uh, animals into our hands to, to eat. And so the hand, animals are now hunted prey. So they will fear us. But I think also in line with this is, can you imagine eight humans and uh, are full of animals. If the animals all decided to just turn against the humans, then we would have no chance. But God blesses humanity. He causes the animals to fear and dread humans so that the animals won't wipe us out. So that God's plan of filling the earth with humanity, his plan of blessing can continue. Now, it is in line with this, I think, that God tells us in verses 5 to 6, the value of human life. Okay, so he says, um, For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, uh, every animal that takes a human life. Uh, And from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And we are told the reason uh, why there is value of human life is because we are made in the image of God. Mankind is made in the image of God. Okay, so I'm not going to go into these verses a lot because uh, it is, uh, there's a lot of debate about what they, how they apply today, what they actually mean. Now, the main point is to see that God reminds us, reminds Noah, reminds uh, his readers that there is this value of human life because we are made in the image of God. Now, remember what happened uh, after Genesis 1, Genesis 2? After the fall, there was murder. There was violence. And so in this new beginning, with the echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 again, God knows that there will be that violence, that murder. And if he doesn't restrain it with this command, then once again, uh, the humanity continuing, it will be threatened. So all this is God's plan to make sure his plan of blessing 
humanity, blessing the earth, is not thwarted. Now, we're going to move on from here to the verse 18 to 28. Okay, the part about Ham, Shem, and Jephthah coming out of the ark and uh, Noah. Okay, what we're going to see from this section is that even though the earth is cleansed, even though Noah is like this new Adam and it's meant to be like a new beginning, a fresh start, but it is a failed restart because sin and death still reign. Sin and death still reign. Now, in the same way as we saw echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 from uh, the first part of the passage, can you now look at verses 18 to 28? and see what echoes of Genesis 3. What echoes of Genesis 3 uh, you can find. Now, obviously, okay, there's a lot of difference. But if you look closely, you can see the echoes. So, yeah, take a moment. Look at 18 to 28. See what echoes of Genesis 3 you can spot. And then, yeah, put it into the chat box. Okay, thank you, Elizabeth. There is cursing. Exactly. Yes, Stephanie says, ew! Yes, yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight uh, in, in both chapters. Okay, thank you. Yes, there's nakedness and there's shame. And then I think we can say along with that, uh, there's nakedness and there's shame and there's, just like in Genesis 3, there's also a covering to cover the shame, cover the nakedness. Okay, so yeah, there's all this... Um, Echoes of Genesis 3. And okay, just like in Genesis 3, amidst the, the shame and the cursing, there were hints of hope. And we will find also here, uh, amidst this, uh, cursing and nakedness, there is hope. Okay, so let's look at, uh, this story. There's, uh, sin and death. It still reigns, but there's, there's hope. Okay, so we are told uh, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark, uh, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And we are told that Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay, so this will be significant later. And we are told that Noah proceeded to plant a vineyard. So as he was told to, you know, be fruitful, multiply, you know, work, he obeys God, he does that. He plants a vineyard. And then the, the fruit of the vine, uh, he makes into wine and he drinks it. He enjoys it too much. You know, all those lonely nights on the ark, you know, like circuit breaker, you know, so he drinks too much. He gets drunk and he lies uncovered naked inside his tent. And then we are told Ham, the younger son, Ham, uh, the father of Canaan, he sees Noah naked. He sees his father naked and he tells his two brothers. Now, uh, during the breakout room, you know, the question that uh, Pastor Andrew Wong said was, okay, if there was one problem in the world you could solve, what was it? So I was in a breakout room with uh, Brian and you know what was, what was Brian's one problem in the world that he was solve? He wanted to solve the question of what was so wrong about what Ham did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, okay, now, this sermon 
is rated for G. Okay, this is a G-rated sermon, general audience. Okay, so I'm not going to go into all the possibilities. Okay, suffice it to say that we can see from how Shem and Jephthah react. Okay, we, we will not understand fully. Okay, I'm not going to give you all the possibilities, but we can see from scripture about how Shem and Jephthah react. So when Ham says, oh, you know, our father, he's lying in a tent naked, right? Now, how do they react? Well, they actually get a cloth and they walk into the tent and they walk backwards, okay? Because they don't, they do not want to see uh, the nakedness of their father. And when they get to it, they see, okay, I think that's his feet. Okay, then they, they, they like, they throw the cloak, right? Cover his nakedness. So the, that care, like this determination not to see, right? Sort of contrasts what Ham did and gives us an idea, you know, what he did, why it was wrong. Okay. Now, when Noah wakes up, what does he do? He curses Ham. Correct? Wrong. He doesn't curse Ham. Look at it. Verse 25, he curses Canaan. And we've been told twice already in this passage that Canaan is the son of Ham. Now, why was it that, you know, it's Ham who did the wrong thing, but it's Canaan who gets cursed? Okay, well, let's see what else uh, Noah says. Now, this is the hint of hope. So in this cursing, there is hope. Hope in that Shem is blessed. Verse 26, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. Okay, so God is praised for being the God of Shem. Now, it is a very, very, very uh, small hint, but nonetheless, it is a hint of hope. You know why? Because we will find out uh, in the next chapters that Shem is the ancestor, is the line that will actually lead to Abraham. And how in God's purposes, it is in Abraham, through Abraham, through the offspring of Abraham, that all peoples will be blessed. So God's purpose of blessing will now find its line through Shem, into Abraham for blessing to come. Blessing that will overturn the curses because of our rebellion. And uh, Jephthah, Jephthah, he's also blessed. He's also blessed in that he will live in the tents of Shem. Now, it makes sense, right? Because if uh, it is in Shem, Shem's line that is blessed, then uh, the only place you can find blessing is under Shem, in Shem, in his line. Now, so back to the question of why Canaan uh, you know, why not Ham being cursed, but why, why is it Canaan that's cursed? Well, we'll find out that Ham, uh, you know, is the ancestor of Canaan, and Canaan is actually the ancestor of all the tribes that will end up being occupying the promised land. So Canaan will, uh, lead to all these tribes. He will be the father of these tribes that will occupy the land that God has promised Abraham and his descendants. And when the time is right, 
Abraham and his offsprings, that nation will take over the land occupied by Canaan's offspring. So in that sense, they are cursed. They will be wicked and they will face the judgment that will come through Abraham and his offspring taking over the land. Now, there's the middle part we haven't looked at, and we have there in verses 8 to 17, God making a covenant. Okay, We've seen the covenant uh, already in chapter 8, uh, but God elaborates on it. He says in verse 8, uh, verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you. Now, what is this covenant? Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Okay, so I think it's quite clear. God makes this promise. God goes into a relationship with all living creatures. He makes this promise. He makes this pledge to them. And the promise is that never again, right? Even though sin and death reigns, even though uh, the, the, the judgment came and uh, it was a false restart, because sin and death still reign, now, even though the there's wickedness, even though the inclinations of the human heart is still evil. But God says, never again will I wipe out the earth with a flood. And God gives a sign of the covenant. Okay, just like uh, in a marriage, you know, the, the, the couple, they make promises to each other. And there is a symbol a symbol to remind them of this, this promise, this pledge they've made to each other. Well, God has made this pledge. God has pledged not to, you know, never again destroy. And he gives a sign. Just like the wedding ring is a sign. He gives a sign. And we, we see, we know that the sign is the rainbow. Right? So he says, verse 13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, the question is, okay, why, why a rainbow? Why did God choose a rainbow to be the sign of this covenant? Now, he says, verse 14, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Verse 16, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Okay, what is the significance of this sign? The sign of the rainbow. Now, when do you see a rainbow? When do you get to see a rainbow? I, I wonder when's the last time you all saw a rainbow. I, I, I tried to think, but uh, you know, like it could have been a year, two years ago, actually, that you know, I, I, I actually saw a rainbow for myself. Okay, but when do you actually get to see a rainbow? Now, 
Okay, unless you're at a waterfall, most of the time it is after it's rain. Right? After it's rain, uh, the sun comes out again and you see the rainbow. Okay, so you see the significance of the rainbow is that it comes after the rain. Now, we all might be used to it. Now, uh, Monday this week, there was heavy rain, right? Heavy rain. So heavy that some parts of Singapore actually got flooded. And, I mean, when I read it, I was surprised. Whoa, you know, so heavy. I mean, I was actually driving out uh, in the road at the time. It was heavy, uh, but the, the traffic wasn't that bad. So when I learned that certain parts of Singapore actually got flooded, I was surprised. But actually, you know why? Why we should not be surprised? Because the wickedness of humanity, the inclination of our hearts being evil all the time, actually, because of that, every year, every year we should expect a flood that will just wipe us out. That is what we deserve. That is actually what we should expect. And the fact that it rains and it only floods pockets here and there is a sign that, that God remembers his covenant. It is because God is holding back. He's restraining that, that, that waters, the waters of the flood that should actually destroy us because that's what we deserve. And so after the rain, the rain that actually should not stop. It should keep raining until it covers Everest and drowns us all. That is what we deserve. We deserve a flood every year. But the fact that the rain stops and sometimes we see a rainbow is because God is holding back. He remembers his covenant to never again judge the earth with a flood. And so that's, you know, one of the significance of the rainbow. But many years ago, uh, Charles Spurgeon also pointed out, can you see the rainbow? Now, the, the word for rainbow in the Hebrew is actually not the typical word for rainbow in the Hebrew. The writer, you know, Moses, he's actually used the Hebrew word for warble. You know, the bow and arrow, he's actually used the, the word for a a warble. And God uses, God says the sign of the covenant is the bow. The bow that instead of shooting the arrows of his judgment into the earth at humanity, he lays his bow down. Never again will I judge by a flood. And Charles Spurgeon said, yes, more than just God laying down his bow. Can you see where the war bow is now pointed? Not only has God laid down his war bow, the firing end of the war bow is pointed up, pointed into heaven, as it were. Now this is that sign, is that hint of how God is going to overturn the curses of the fall and make sure his purpose of blessing 
is completely and utterly fulfilled. The arrows of his judgment is going to be fired up into himself, into heaven itself. And so you see, once you realize that, then all the different echoes in this whole flood account, how it points ahead, points ahead to Jesus, we now have eyes to see. Because Jesus is like Noah, just better. You see, Jesus, like Noah, obeyed God. You see, Noah, you know, he, he obeyed God. He was, you know, building that ark and everyone thought he was crazy. No one believed in him. No one got what he was doing. And when Jesus was on earth, he was obedient to God. He was, you know, his face was set, you know, towards Jerusalem, heading towards the cross. No one got it. Even his closest disciples, they didn't get it. No one believed him. No one was with him. But he remained obedient. He was the truly blameless and righteous man. And just as uh, Noah's obedience to God in building the ark was the way of rescue, so it is with Jesus in his obedience to his father. Obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross that Jesus provides the only way of rescue. Now, like Noah, like Noah, Jesus also ended up naked. But, you see, Noah drank and, you know, got drunk. But when Jesus was hanging naked on the cross, when he was offered the wine vinegar, he refused because he was going to remain obedient to God to the very end. Naked on the cross, and unlike Noah, there was no one to cover his shame. Until his body is brought down from the cross, and you see that rainbow points ahead to the cross. How the, the arrows of God's judgment is fired up into God instead. Because it is God's determination that, that never again will all life be destroyed. Because now, through the cross, now through the cross, anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Never again will all life be destroyed. Because now there is a way out. Now there is a way of rescue. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, friends, we see in this passage, we see in the, the sign of the covenant, the rainbow, we are, we are reminded. We are reminded that we are people who have gotten used. We've gotten used to the rain stopping. We've gotten used to the sun rising again and setting. And, you know, when it rains, it will stop. And even if it floods, it will flood only, you know, a few select places. And maybe it's because we, we've started to believe that we don't deserve a flood. We don't deserve judgment. And just like the readers in Peter's day, when he had to warn them, warn the people there about how, how they think that your yeah, life just goes on. 
you know, sun sets, the sun goes down, the rain comes, the rain stops. You know, like where is this judgment that you're talking of? And maybe some of us, we have gotten used to just the way we are, the way that things are in the world. We don't think our sins are that bad. We don't think we deserve judgment. And life just seems to carry on. But just as Peter reminded his audience, the it's not because God has forgotten, not because God is unable to bring his purposes out. It is because the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. His promise of returning, bringing judgment. He is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What if, what if the reason why the fact that the rain stops, the fact that the sun still rises, the seasons come and go, that, that, that life seems to carry on is because he is giving you opportunity to repent. You who you have not gotten onto the ark that Jesus has provided with his own body. You who think that you do not deserve judgment because you don't think that your sins are very bad. What if the fact that he hasn't returned simply because he is giving you the opportunity to repent? So please don't don't fall into the trap of uh, the, the scoffers in Peter's day. You see, he judged the world once. Now he will do it again. And this time with fire. And the only way of escape will be in Christ. Calling upon him. Now for those of us who believe in Jesus. For those of us who believe in Jesus. For those of us who have gotten onto the ark that Jesus has provided with his own body. Now, you and I, we, even though we trust Jesus, we believe in him, we, we can get discouraged. We can think as we see our own sin, as we, we see the mess of the world around us, we can think that sin and death still reign and that there's no hope. And we can begin to lose hope. But no, no, no. The, the sign of this covenant, the, 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 the wall bow pointing up, points ahead to God sending his son to, to God himself, taking the arrows of the judgment we deserve. And Jesus has come. The cross has happened. He has resurrected. And because of that, even though it looks like sin and death still reign, sin and death actually are defeated. Sin and death, it is defeated. And he will return. He will return to save us completely. And all it takes, the Bible tells us, all it takes in a moment, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. You see, that fresh start that Noah brought was a false start. Sin, death was still there. But this new beginning that Jesus brings, it has begun in us who trust him. 
And even though it looks like we are, we are battling this sin and we seem to be losing, but no, it has been defeated. And the day will come when we will be totally transformed. In a twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. And so do not give up hope. Keep trusting. He will return. It will be a new creation. And we will be with him. May God help us to believe these promises. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.